Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Insider, the Jazz Sessions spin-off series where I chat to jazz industry experts about the nuts and bolts of the business. Lesson one, basic hip. Today's guest is Dave Stapleton, the founder and driving force behind the London-based label Edition Records. A brilliant pianist and composer in his own right, he has grown a label that now boasts releases by Dave Holland, Chris Potter, Gretchen Parlato, Snow Poet, and Kurt Elling, who recently won the label its first Grammy Award when he received Best Jazz Vocal Album at the 2021 Grammys. Dave, hi, and welcome to The Insider. Hey, Nikki, thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. I didn't mention that as a musician, you're also part of the band Slowly Rolling Camera, who have just released new music. So you are a practicing musician, as well as being behind this label. How do you balance the two things? Because I think so many musicians, it's par for the course, have feet in two different ponds, both musically related, whether one is education or one is administrative or, you know, a label is in your case. And I think that it's a balancing act and sometimes things can go awry and somebody realizes actually, I can't juggle the two either I'm not actually interested in pursuing a music career and actually that's not where my energy and heart lies or they realize I really hate teaching and I'm doing it for the money but as soon as I can drop it I will. How do you make sure you remain happy to oversee both those things? Well I mean, it's a good question I, and I think about this all the time. I Firstly I don't think I'm a practicing musician as in I don't practice enough or as much as I would ever want to but um, I mean, it's been such an organic kind of um, flux between, you know, focusing as a musician to running a label that I've never really consciously gone, okay, I'm going make a big shift now from this to that. Um, you know, I started Edition to to release my own music and friends of mine, and that that was the goal at that time. And then you release 20, 30 albums, and, and suddenly, you know, we lost an artist who was fairly important to us to another label. And, and that was one kind of wake up call to go, I, okay, I either start doing this properly now or I don't do it at all. And I just focus more on my own music. And and it was at a time in my life when, you know, I had young kids and I couldn't quite justify going out of the house, leaving my wife with, you know, screaming children for, you know, a small amount of money, getting from that gig when I get back at three in the morning, you know, it's not, it's not a time in your life where it, it makes sense. And so I kind of thought, well, let's give this a go. And I was, I was still teaching, you know, kind of two or three days a week, juggling, teaching, playing, writing, and running a record label. And it, you know, gradually, it's, I, I guess the goal became, okay, I'll drop some teaching, I'll do more label, drop a little bit, you know, some work and, and playing and do more, more of that. And I, but I was never a musician where I was playing in lots of bands it was always kind of my groups, my writing. And so I could control that quite easily. 
and um but yeah it just got i guess organically it just i kept saying yes to music and then suddenly suddenly i was saying yes to chris potter and saying yes to to dave holland and the bad plus and gretchen and all these other amazing musicians um and then not to downgrade all the great british musicians or european ones but it was just you know suddenly working with chris who i was listening to in in when i was 18 was it just seemed how how is this possible um so yeah and it just kind of i guess it carried on going and then slowly i've kept my own i get i've kept control of the amount of music i want to do you know um i have all these instruments i'm sat in my office now with a fender rose piano and keyboards around me but do, do i ever play them from day to day no and i wish i could do more but it's, it's, it goes in ways of intense kind of recording to not touching it, you know. Um, I think that I think that's the way I just I just work, and it, it really depends on what else is going on at the time and what releases we're doing and what what's absorbing my thought process. And um, but in a way, it's, it's to me that the the unifying thing that connects everything is is creativity, whether it's writing, playing, recording working out a marketing strategy, working out the business strategy, doing some photography, whatever, that's all, it's all the same things about trying to achieve an end result, which I'm aware of and working out how to do that. I must also add that your, your photography is fantastic. And when I discovered that you were actually behind the camera, cause I was following edition on Instagram, I think, and then putting two and two together, I think I went and I followed you because so much of your your Instagram profile is your photography. Uh, and it's really wonderful. Do you see that as a way to kind of feed into the branding of Edition? Well, I mean, the, the, I've, I've always been into photography, I guess, but I, I first got a good camera in about 2014 when I really decided to, to do the business properly. And it was kind of like, okay, to do this properly, I need to cut load of costs. Therefore, I need to take my own photographs. Therefore, I need this camera to be able to save some money. And, and it just started from that. And I just said, look, to come artists, look, let's meet here and take some photographs and then um, see how it goes. And it shoot after shoot, you start to develop the best way of doing that. And, and actually then in, in lockdown, I kind of really took the next stage from me and what I wanted to do with photography. And, and try some black and white things out and all and and that it gave me an outlet for for another creative side I guess and but whether it's connected to addition or not I, I guess loosely I guess I don't overly think about it but the music the photography the way of thinking it's all the same so I guess in some way it does um but I'm not overly thinking going okay let's make uh photography a thing about addition I guess it just kind of naturally is. Well, it's probably why it works so well because it is organic and so in fact, there's no sort of sense of, oh, they're trying really hard to create a mood or a vibe Um, and it is really lovely. So I encourage uh, people to go and have a look online. I'd imagine as well, and you can tell me whether this is accurate or not, that we don't get into 
anything really, but certainly being a musician, you're you're in it for the process for the long haul. You're not in it for the glory. Although every time acknowledgement comes along, it certainly helps you kind of refuel and carry on. And it must be incredibly gratifying with the label. There are so many opportunities to have that experience because you're one person and you're kind of tentacles reach out to so many so to have some someone like Chris Potter come on the label and really enjoy the relationship and to do well from it or to have you know Kurt Elling win a Grammy and have that reflect on the label those little short sharp shocks of kind of I guess reinforcement must be fantastic yeah it is and in all honesty I don't allow myself not purposely, but I don't allow myself to really look at those enough. And I probably should. Um, and people tell me, oh, you should be like more proud and all this. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, I probably should. But at the same time, I think the thing that has always driven me is, is the fear of failure or fear of messing up someone's album, you know? And therefore, you know, these successes come and you go, oh, great. But then, okay, but I don't want to now mess it up and get, you know, so you always go on to the next thing that is challenging you. And I um, but there's, there's definitely been moments which I look back, you know, specific moments where going, yes, that was a pivotal moment for me. And like getting the final call, for example, with Chris was one of those moments with Chris Potter where, you know, gone through kind of weeks of negotiation and whether are we doing it are we not doing it you know this kind of waiting around and then getting that call to say yes the deal's yours it was like it was a quick call but straight after it was it was kind of like big celebration straight away you know and and that will stick in my memory as a moment of just a personal kind of emotional sense of achievement and and there's many little things and I've, i think particularly with the pandemic going on, you know, I've been in this, in this office pretty much every day, apart from weekends for the last, you know, how many well, since it began. And you do then lose sight of that because you're just surrounded by stock or emails or things going on. And you forget to look at the, what you are achieving. And it, it's a, it, it can, it's, it's a way of, of um, cl- clouding the, the vision in some ways, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I guess, um, trying to look at this in a more, uh, I, I should pat myself on the back maybe a little bit more, but I, I'm just so conscious of, of if I do that, then something is going to stop happening, you know, and so I try and not allow myself to go there very much, in all honesty. Well, look, I think it's good and admirable that you you don't rest on your laurels, but I'm very happy to take this opportunity to hold up a mirror and be like, take stock, Dave, take well, stock. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I mean, on that, on that note, again, internal versus external perception, the external perception, or at least my perception of the label is just kind of phenomenal because it's always been a reputable label, but I would say in the it feels like the last couple of years, it may be the last five years, you, you would know better than I. It just feels like Edition's trajectory has just kind of steepened and 
been on the rise and it's been hugely exciting to witness it as a as a bystander i mean the releases we spoke you mentioned chris potter and dave holland but there's nate smith there's miho hazama there's curtain is grammy i won't mention it again um <laughs> and and in my mind it's really solidified and reiterated that edition is a, a label force to be reckoned with it stands amongst the other you know great labels um, doing great work. What was that development like for you? I'm going to force you to look back. And I mean, you spoke about there might be a pivotal moment. Um, it's also interesting to hear you talk about losing an artist, because in my mind, I just think, well, you know, every month I'm hearing about new, really high profile, successful, interesting, creative artists who have joined Edition. So for me, it just looks like this. Whereas that's the, you know, bystanders never privy to the, the troughs. So has it felt as kind of steep and thrilling a progression to you being in it? Um, no, in all, in the, in the short answer. The, the longer answer is, um, like from, from start, we started in 2008, you know, we had the financial crash going on. We had, you know, Spotify starting the same year and that's, that's that new wave of streaming. Um, and, you know, the first five years, I, I had no real thought or vision or understanding, really. Um, and it was like, oh, let's just give this a go, see what happens. That was the kind of attitude. Then you, this artist, like uh, we mentioned about Luke, I lost this artist in 2013. Um, that was like, okay, let's do this. Let's work it out. You know, let's... Uh, what, what, how do we do this? How do we, as soon as you start analyzing how you do something, suddenly everything looks out of place, you know? And it, it's 2014, 2015 were the hardest years by far because you're having then to really rethink everything, you know? And um, then a, suddenly a lot of decisions need to be made and like you go through that process of how to make them and, you know, learn from everything. You, it's really about failure and learning from that failure and remembering not to do that again. And, and then, so the way I see that, like the first five years were, let's give us a try. The next kind of, well, from 2014 to about 2018, which was like around our 10th anniversary was like, we're working it out. Um, and then since, since kind of really 2008, summer, summer 18, it was, it's then been, pretty significant growth, particularly in, in America, in the North, North America. And so there's, um, and you know, now I'm, there's still so many things going on, change happening constantly, that it's, it's the change is, is too quick. And I'm actually right now trying to manage that to slow things down because it's, I just, otherwise we'll run away from it. From it. And it's like, we're really trying to work out what are our priorities. And, 2014 to so this middle area from working out that was about survival really and we're now out of those woods but now we're in a, in a woods of like what what do we actually want to do here you know if it's not about just surviving what do we want to do what's our purpose which is a much much bigger question and you know really is forcing us to analyze everything about decision making how we do things you know how we say things how you know, why we do things and in a very very changing world 
not only in consumer habits of listening, but in, you know, COVID, Brexit, um, you know, there's just an endless list of, of challenges. And, you know, I'm, I'm so I'm now I'm trying to grow this business with a sense of purpose, looking at the right artists, looking who's going to help me in, in the team. Um, and, it, and it's a massive juggle. Um, it feels like I've got this puzzle in front of me that has no picture on it. And I still have to put and this imaginary kind of puzzle together, not knowing what the picture is almost, you know, it's every day there's a new challenge like that. Um, but I've come to understand, I think, that it's that process that I enjoy of trying to work it out. And I think it's, as soon as it becomes comfortable, I get nervous because then I feel like we're not we're not progressing. And so I, I'm constantly tr purposely changing things for that very reason. About the fact that you have a great many American artists on the roster now and of course that's not always how it was. Obviously jazz is a small community and in many ways it it goes across all oceans and all ponds. How important is it to you the fact that Edition now kind of has a foothold in the American jazz scene because of the artists you represent? Of course I'm assuming that it wasn't an intentional expansion it just happened the artists who came your way who you thought were great and would make a great fit for the label happened to be american but what does it mean to you yeah i mean i it's a good question i think i never it was never really a prime objective to go right we need to sign 12 or whatever artists we have from north america it was like um putting quality first um and and you let you let your ears uh, well, you, you trust your ears, you know, where, where to go. And it was only when these artists started approaching that you start to build more awareness and things come in, things come in. It's the same way I started just, you know, when I started the label in 2008 in Cardiff, I went to the local scene in Cardiff and then people from London then email you. It's, it's the same process, just on a bigger scale. Uh, but having been through that, you, I guess now we are trying to build our identity as a global label, not just a British label or even European label. And digital is of, is of course a, a very easy format to, to be a global label in, you know. But even with our signing process now, you mentioned uh, signing Miho recently, you know, we, we've now got artists from Japan, from Europe, from North America, and, you know, we are working constantly and I'm having meetings constantly with people in different countries. And so 
it, it definitely feels like we're a global label. But at the same time, I'm, I'm sat in my office in, uh, in the countryside in England uh, where nothing is going on. It's dead quiet. And it, it kind of feels bizarre to have, you know, to be talking about things going on in New York or in LA or in Berlin or London or wherever, uh, and then go for a walk. And it's just, this, all you hear is birds and, and um, which in some ways is very nice, but it's, it's just, it makes me laugh sometimes that the center of it all is, is this sleepy village here. But I guess it's the sign of the times too, that you couldn't, we couldn't have done that five years ago, even, or. 10, 10, five years ago. So I think a lot of a lot of the journey has, has been down to luck. And I know oh, it's very easy to say it's all lucky and everything else, but it, I, I really think it is because if we'd started five years earlier, it would have been a completely different story. And if we started five years later, it would have been a very different story. I think the, the very fact we started in 2008 meant that we're 10 years old in 2018, which is a was the just the right time to really grab onto this new way of of people of, you know fans consuming music and you know with e-commerce and and even with the pandemic you know as, as bad as it's been for so many people there have been some positives from it and because it has forced change in so many things and forced so many people to relook at the way they do things and their businesses and organizations and i i, I hope that long term, there will be some some benefit. You know, of course, there's so so much loss there, which is horrible and, and hard for so many people. But we have to also look at what opportunity can come from it. You know, um, and that's the kind of the sort of way I'm, I'm approaching most problems these days, which is there's an issue here, but how can we make turn that around into a positive somehow? And it, I'm hoping that that sort of thinking in marketing, in just running a business, in you know, talking to artists, that all comes across and will give us our uniqueness, our, our way of working, and essentially our kind of brand and identity um, to, keep, to keep going. And, and my goal is to keep doing this when I'm 70 or, or, or beyond me, in, in all honesty. So it's, it's not about me, it's about the artists, about the, it's about everyone involved in it. And, so therefore it's like, well, how do we keep, how, how do you sustain something for that long when there's so much change going on? You, we, I can't predict what's gonna happen in 15, 20, 25 years time. But I think there's always gonna be some consistency in, in this industry. One being quality music and the other being the desire for that quality music. The, the route between the two is gonna shift all the time. In every year, there's, there's a new way of doing it. There's a better way of doing it. Um, and it's kind of our job as a label to work out that route for a, a given artist. And every artist is then different. Every artist album requires a different strategy. And, and it's that creativity that, um, that I think I, I draw on that keeps me going, um, which it all comes you know, from improvised music, you know, as a piano player in a band or as a drummer, we're all listening to each other, reacting to what's going on, and you adapt your voicing or what you play based on what you just heard, or or you instinctively think that the saxophone's 
player is going to go and do something. So you you go there and help them out, you know. And I think business is the very same thing. You're listening to your environment and you react to the changes in it based on what you want to do with the the, the things that you've got, whether it's a, a lead sheet or whether it's a release schedule. You know, it's, it's the same it's the same ingredients, the same thinking, just with very different um, ingredients, I guess. Absolutely. I completely agree with you about the parallels. I mean, maybe in terms of you spoke about longevity and wanting to be running this way into your 70s, maybe additions should have a new slogan, which is, you know, hashtag Manfred Eicher goals or something. <laughs> um, if I ever bump into you at a very busy trade show dave like an apap or a jazz jazz head i'll look at you and i'll say are you sure this is better than the quiet english countryside you know (laughs) (laughs) would you like to go back to that time you've obviously always had a pull towards thinking about things from a business perspective and being intelligent and calculative in a good way about how you conduct yourself as a musician but has being privy to the side, this side of the music business in this way, which is very full on and intense and in depth, has it changed the way that you conduct yourself as a musician? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I'm obviously, it's very hard wearing two hats like that, in all honesty, because I, A, I feel a little bit guilty when I'm not, when I'm doing slider on camera and not doing addition, because I feel like, okay, I should be doing this. But then, but then I, um, you know, it, it's just trying to find, getting that right sense, that right headspace, I guess, to to do that. Whether it's I see things differently, I don't think so. I'm I'm not, I'm not changing the way I write to think. Oh, this would be better on streaming platforms, or you know, I, I'm only I would only do things that I would advise another artist to do, you know like you know think about the album as a vinyl length first or um you know i'm not overly thinking it through just to make some money or just to get on a playlist or anything like this you know i'm I'm, i definitely lead with my ears rather than the head and as a musician Thank you.
What are some of the things then that you would love to tell other musicians since you're on the receiving end of receiving album pictures or people perhaps, you know, cornering you and saying, I need some career advice? I would, I mean, there's so many these days and I, I, I give the occasional kind of seminars or workshops to, to various musicians and there's a, there's a lot to say there. And usually there's kind of a couple of hours of workshops to go through that just to kind of uncover um the basics but really um, the one of the biggest pieces of advice is i try and look at is starting with the end in mind uh, work out where you want to go first because if you don't if you don't know what that is it's then very hard to make any decisions if you are faced with a decision you can base that decision on a long-term vision or goal and you that does does by going down here eventually work with that end result or does this benefit that end result more that i think long-term thinking is really the one of the most important things that i've i've used i think in building the, the business um but but it's, it's very hard sometimes because we we all need to to bring in short-term income to survive um but we also want to make sure we're sustaining ourselves for the future and it, it's just getting that balance the whole time and being aware of, aware of that as, as best we can. Um, and that, but I, that's a daily thing for everybody. You know, it, it's, a, it's a struggle, it's a balance. You never, it's never gonna be easy for, for anybody. But once you get that right, it's then really thinking about building your career. You know, I often use a, an analogy of building a house. You've got to lay down your foundation. You've got to make sure you're positioning it in the right way is it south facing is it north facing you know are you a leader or you're a side person you know how does that how does that work and then you're putting up the, the bricks and then you're the then it's um the finishing touches and you know landscaping the curtains all sorts of things going into that and it's it, it's that minutiae of detail then once you've got the the right direction once you've got your right band together once you've got your music together it's then how do you enhance that to then communicate that to the people who are hearing it? And I think that is the thing that's getting harder and harder because there's more and more music. There's less and less space, less gigs, less review space, less, you know, um, radio play. There's kind of less everything these days, but there's more, more of, of the music. And so that attention span and that creating that noise is very hard um, for a, a lot of musicians. Um, then it comes down to marketing and understanding what marketing is for you, which um, to me is about just making as much noise as possible and then breaking it down into the different areas to do that, whether it's by territory, by media type, by, by whatever, really. Um, it, it's, just, it's just breaking things down the whole time. I love that. I, the step by step of it all, I'm thinking, oh, this is brilliant. It's so clear. And I think there is so much luck involved in so much of this. But in terms of what one can control, going about it in a logical, rational, stepwise way is kind of a surefire recipe for some success, if not all of it. Nothing's ever guaranteed. But I think if you if you allow yourself to create opportunity through you know the right mindset you know don't allow yourself to be the, your own worst enemy which happens so much with musicians 
you know, which is completely understandable because it's very hard to pick yourself up or to try and find that way through it. Um, but, you know, it, it's so much down to finding that opportunity, seeing what it is. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many ingredients there to, to cover it all here, but it's like, it's, um, you know, the mindset controlling your mind and the psychology of it all is so, is so important. And, you know, so much focus is put on learning your instrument and finding your own voice, which is totally right. But at the same time, if you don't understand the next stage of how to take that voice into and to build a career with it, then, then how do you, where do you go from there? You know, and so it's, there's the psychology and the, the way of thinking is, is as important in building careers as having a voice for your instrument. I have another step to take Probably many more in this life It's been edging closer And if you'd agree on eternity with me I have another step to take To register new feelings that I'm Deciding no more over fighting. I also wanted to ask you, just in terms of addition, I'm sure you you spoke earlier about contract negotiations, and I was talking recently with a Gail Boyd, who's an artist manager and also an entertainment lawyer, a lot about record deals and the idea that the old school deal where the label ends up owning the master and she basically yeah laid it out is kind of archaic and something she really tries to guard her artists against but what is the addition structure and does it it differ from negotiation to negotiation i mean i think my mantra to all of this in is about collaboration I, I don't want to go into a, an agreement with someone that knowing that either one of the party is getting a better deal than the other person. It has to be an equal thing where we are working on a goal, on, on a similar goal together to achieve one thing. So we're both looking to achieve the same thing. Uh, if you get that right um, and the transparency of that right from the beginning, uh, there's no real reason why it can't work um but you know i i do agree i i think i think a shift needs to happen i think you know 
from when I got into the business in 2003-ish, um, you know, the perception was there, like the labels were the, were the ones that really controlled everything. And they were the ones with the money. And it was about them taking ownership and the artist lost essentially, you know, a lot of the time. Occasionally, you know, especially in jazz where, you know, there's not enough money around in all honesty to really, to do it properly. Um, and it, I think now we're in an age where this, this sense of collaboration is, is so important for artists. And I think I might 100% agree with, with Gail there because it's, you know, all our artists will own their master, you know, and we, we license that from them on a, an agreed term with an agreed deal. And there's that transparency from the beginning. And um, it, it's really important for artists in the long term to own that catalog because that's where their future income will come from you know and too many times i've heard from from musicians who released albums in the 90s or in early 2000s where they don't they're not even getting royalties let alone have any ownership in these things and it's then you know the people who used to work at these labels then and have you have no idea where they are there's no communication they just it's just a, a closed door and it feels like, well, what's their incentive then in really working on these albums if they haven't got any ownership of these albums? And it's then, it, it, I just don't see that. I think there's a new way forward in the future where the artist is the most important one in, in that, in the relationship. Without the artist, there's no industry, you know? But also without customers, there's no industry. The, only, the industry only exists because of those two things. And it's up to the industry to support both of those two things, in my view. And to do that, we have to offer fair deals and off and make sure that what we are doing as industry organizations are giving what the fans want, which is quality music delivered in a very, you know, creative, cool way. Um, and it's about us trying to develop those fans as well, you know, and there's a, there's a lot more to do for organizations now than just doing, you know, a, a record label is like distribution, promotion of albums. That's like the simplistic term. Of course, that's not what we do. We do so much more beyond that, that makes us a record label. And most of that is, you know, artist strategy, it's artist counseling sometimes, it's, it's all sorts of things that help the long term or the artist benefit in the long term, you know, and it's, uh, it's complicated and it's challenging sometimes and you have to deal with many different things, but ultimately for us, that is the goal. It's about how can we support this artist to do what they do in a very difficult period, you know, and so firstly, and one of our first things we always talk about with a, with a new artist is like, what do you want to achieve? What's your best case scenario in 10, 15 years? Like, where's, where's your long-term vision going? Because we can do things now that will affect that. And I often you kind of use this analogy of like, if you don't get that direction right from the beginning, it's, you can then, by the time you're down there, you're miles away. So, you know, for example, if you were to point a, a, an ocean liner across the Atlantic in one direction, by the time it's the other side of the Atlantic, it's miles away from the actual 
destination you, you should be at. And just to, so a small shift in angle has a huge, a huge shift later on. And, and it's trying to get artists to see that and to see what direction they want to go in and make sure they're on that path. You can always shift once you're halfway through the journey, but you've got to know from the beginning where you're going. Otherwise, how do you make, how do you shift? How do you pivot away from that? You know, um, otherwise you're just flying around in circles, really. Yeah, and as you said, if an artist is able to retain ownership of the master of their album, then down the line on that journey, it gives them many more options, provides them a lot more support. So it's very well said. One of the artists on the edition label, Dave, is a group called Snow Poet, who are carving out a fabulous and fascinating niche for themselves um, certainly within Europe, within UK, and, and obviously, you know, in Ireland as well because of Lauren. Um, but it's been really wonderful to see their evolution over the years and how it's changed from album to album. And they somehow just come to the fore whenever I'm online and I follow both them and Edition. And I'm very aware of the collaborative nature of the label and the artist in that example. What what do you expect from your artists and what do your artists do? Because Lauren Kinsella and Chris Heisen, who front Snow Poet, strike me as two people who are particularly proactive. I mean, I may be completely wrong and if you need to trash talk them on here, go for it. But <laughs> they strike me as being very proactive and very much present and game and you know consistently hard working which is i guess the ideal kind of artist for any label to pair up with but what do you expect from your artists and when does the kind of label artist relationship work the best for you so i've, I've been thinking a lot recently actually about what what is the consistent thing about the artist um and it, you know, it's not the music it's not the, their choice in music because we you know we've done things from like very heavily classical influence things to very electronic influences it's not that's not the defining thing what i've come to understand is, is the, the quality of their intent to do something and they they all share that they all share a very strong idea about what they want to do and they do that with conviction whether it's daniel hirschkadal whether it's snow poet whether it's gretchen chris potter they all share that and I think as long as they have that in their, in their minds, that will help us out doing our job. If they haven't got that intent to do something with their music, with their instrument, with their voice, whatever, it becomes very hard to, to do that. So in terms of expectation, it's, it's coming with ideas. It's coming with... Um, with questions, with, with a sense of purpose. Um, I'm not looking to artists with all the answers, but I, I, it's nice and it's great when artists or managers or anyone in the industry comes with questions because that makes everyone think about what's right and the, and the right way to go. And so it's, it's having um, that vision is, is, is really the most important thing. Without it, it becomes, they become lost, as, as we're saying in, in the kind of previous question. It's they're, they're then flying in circles, not flying in the direction they want to. 
it's about them having that understanding of what they want to achieve with their instrument and being proud of that and having a sense of humility with that. And, um, you know, you look at someone like Daniel Hirschdahl, who plays a tuba uh, and, and writes beautiful music. He has that quality of intent. He, he knows what sound he wants to produce. He knows the influence he's bringing in. He knows the sound of his music and he does it with great quality and, and great integrity. Same with, with Chris, same with Jasper Hoiby, same with Vernery Priolo in Finland. It's, all these guys have to share that same quality. And um, that, that's what really excites me about, about an artist, almost. If someone comes and they, they're just not aware of that, it just, it just straight away, I, I can come see through that now so easily. No, and those are great examples. I mean, yeah, I think Daniel's album, it's so unusual, but yet, as you say, because he's so clear about what his shtick is and how to get there and what to do in order to get there, it has a home, it has a place. Yeah, on, on paper, you know, a tuba, it's not, I'm not into tubas, I don't want to go there, but as soon as you hear it, you go, oh, you don't, you're not hearing it as a tuba, you're just hearing it as this music. You have to deal with a huge number of releases. I'm sure you get a huge number of pitch emails and, and records that are mixed and mastered and looking for a home every day. So you're obviously getting a good triage system in place for that. But is there anything else that you can tell us that is maybe top secret and not on the edition website yet? Um, there's plenty in the pipeline for sure. Um whether I, I can say stuff, let me have a quick think about it. But I, yeah, we, first of what we've got coming up, we have Nate Smith's new Kinfolk album, which, um, I mean, he was an, 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 another artist where, you know, I, I, I loved his first album. And clearly he's, you know, without downgrading our other drummers on the label, he is one of the, the most exciting drummers we have globally right now. 
Um, and he really does have that quality of intent. He really knows what he wants to do, which is, is so inspirational. Um, so yeah, that's coming up um, with a, a, a long line of really fantastic guests on it. Um, Kurt Elling's new record, Super Blue, is coming up. Um, and again, like, he's, uh, he's a guy who's, you know, he's following his, is what he wants to do, to go from the Secrets album that we put out in 2020 to this album. I mean, these are, it's a very, day, very different album, you know. One is kind of a very artistic, nuanced, um, working with Danilo Perez on the, and, you know, some very beautiful arrangements to this very funky, sassy sort of album, which is, you know, is, is perfect for him. But he's he's great on both, and it shows his his versatility. Can I ask you, Dave, sorry to interrupt, but, I mean, and not to liken Kurt to a fish, because I don't think he'd love that, but it must have felt when he decided to release his future albums with edition, that must have felt like landing a, a big fish, so to speak. For, for us, yeah. I mean, mm. 100%. And... How did it, can you tell us a bit how that sort of came about? So I, mean, I I've known known of Kirk for for years. I remember being my first thing was hearing his version of Coltrane Love Supreme and his transcriptions of this, and and I was playing at North Sea Jazz Festival with my own group, and uh, we were on the on the bus waiting to go to the venue, and then Kurt jumped in the front seat, and I remember going to my drummer, oh, that's Kurt Erling over there. And little did I know, only 18 months later, I'd be releasing his album. And, but that, that came through a mutual friend um, of ours called, called Wolf Muller, who used to run OK, the Sony um, imprint. And, you know, I'd been in touch with, with Wolf for many years and he, he was aware of what we were doing and what my ideas were. And again, I think this is where the luck comes into it. We are in the right place at the right time where they, Kurt's been through the Blue Notes, the, the, the various different labels, and never really felt home, never felt comfortable with that balance of what he wanted to do and what they wanted to do. There was, there was a, a disconnect. And so, so when, uh, when Kurt's manager got in touch with Wolf to talk about options, Wolf said, how about it? edition and then so I chat to, to Brian Kurt's manager and we get on well I share my vision and then we have a chat with Kurt and of course you know it's a no-brainer for me it's just about doing the deal and making it happen um, and then I first met Kurt face to face when he came to London for some from some dates at Ronnie's I think it was and we met up for, for a lunch to talk about the album and go through some things and I asked him a question of uh you know, what what do you really want to achieve now what's your thing what's what do you want to what's your driving purpose and he said like oh, no one's ever no one no other labels ever asked me that question before and it kind of thought well it's really surprising considering it kind of shows how narrow-minded a lot of these majors can be it's rinsing every last dollar out of this album and not considering the next album or the following album after that or even the artists themselves or what they want and it, my view is if you get that stuff right the profit will come because you're everything falls into place and 
and, and, I, and that's really kind of my my vision, my selling point. And I'm not trying to, it's not about us trying to have a different USP to another label. It's not, you can't compare labels like that. It's, yeah, each some labels have different strengths of different things. So you, you know, a European label have greater strength in, in, a, in Europe than the US and vice versa, probably. And it's, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm not trying to be, the best i'm not trying to be the winner of that because there's no there's no end result here it's not like we're trying to by 2025 we're trying to be the best label it's like there's no I, i'm just trying to sustain our label for as long as i can and do that in a way that 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 people want to be part of i guess and so it's having an infinite sense on that rather than a finite sense on that and i think once you get your head your head in that mindset then other things fall into place to a degree. Um, and I, I think this is what the likes of Kurt and Dave Holland kind of want now because they've all been through that, that mill. And then Dave particularly, you know, he, he's on ECM for years. Then he set his own label up to gain control. And now he's going back to an independent, um, but still with that control and ownership and I'm there to support what he does, not to take anything away from that. We're only there to enhance his his, his releases, not to potentially diminish. I mean, that's sure that's what every label should be there to be, but it's sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. Well, I think regardless of the size of the label, I think the big point is that the artists who are releasing albums on that label are humans and they kind of want that human connection uh, and that can sound very sort of, you know, artsy-fartsy. But I mean in terms of them actually sitting down with another person from the label who says, okay, well, what is your long-term plan? And what are your goals or your dreams, your aspirations? Uh, because let's see how we can be a part of that and help you. Which is, you know, by the sounds of it, what you said to Kurt. And he was like, I've never had this conversation before. And in fact, there's no excuse, regardless of the size or clout of the label. You can always foster that kind of environment. And it's obviously what so many of your artists respond yeah. to. It's, it's just a question, yeah. It's, it doesn't cost anything. And it's like, you know, to get to get uh, people excited or passionate about something it doesn't cost anything it's just a conversation but people feel what well, certain majors or whatever feel still like they, it's only about the numbers and how much is this going to sell that's the first question and it's like well that doesn't really matter because if, if if the album communicates and you do the right job, it's going to sell. Yeah. And I mean, I will tell you another artist of yours who definitely feels that way is Gretchen Palato, because I know that when I interviewed her and I said, well, what's next for you? She had this air of kind of relief and support. And she said, well, now that I'm on audition, I know I can just, you know, I can make another album and I know that it can be in, a li in line with, you know, my kind of goals. And she was hopping off that interview and she was very happy. And she said, oh, I've actually got a meeting now with, with Dave. And so she was, there was such a sense of kind of happiness and contentness about the fact that she had addition support. So, you know, I definitely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's coming off those sort of calls when you, when an artist feels so content and happy to be working with you, that 
you know, we, right at the, the beginning of the conversation, we talked about feeling proud or, you know, that's when I feel most um, aligned in what I'm trying to do, you know. And I mean, Gretchen's a lovely example of, of this because, you know, she had her, her time off to build a family and then she came back with this album and which had, I think, some distance between recording and actually releasing. And then, you know, almost, you know, straight after their album came out, we were, I was on the phone going, okay, so what's the next plan? It's not just about that album. It's about her career and, and using all these things. And so the momentum doesn't, doesn't die down. And then you've lost all the value that you've just created from that album. It's, it's kind of doesn't make sense. And, and now we're in, a, we're in an era where with digital, she can collaborate with an artist she really wants to, put a track out, her fans like it, and it's a very easy way to keep things going. Keep things going. Yeah. You know? Well, they're lucky to have you to be so present and encouraging and proactive in facilitating that way of thinking and that way of just working. Um, and I mean, speaking of her, I can see that you have her floor vinyl behind your head. And yeah. uh, my last question I wanted to ask you about your your opinions on vinyl, because I do think of Edition as being a really big supporter and pusher of the vinyl release. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, when we first started the label, vinyl wasn't talked about at all. It was just wasn't, no one was printing it. Um, well, very, very few. And our first vinyl release was in 2015, I think it was. Um, and we probably did two or three that year and slowly each year we're doing a bit more where, where now every album is on vinyl and sometimes only vinyl or of course digital as well. But, but CD is the one format that is slowly seeing that decline and, and ultimately you know, will become a vinyl and digital only label, I think. And which is fine, to be honest, you know, because the CD is, it is what it is. It doesn't, it doesn't hold that value like an LP does. It's not, it's not exciting enough, you know, and it's, it's a fine format to deliver quantity in a fairly small size and to get it to places. Um, but there's a, there's an ex certain experience with vinyl that complements the digital really, really well and, and vice versa. And it's, it's people will consume vinyl and they also have an Apple or Spotify account as well. You know? So, but they won't, it's not as the CD and streaming doesn't go together as much and the CD and vinyl doesn't go together as much. So it's really, those two formats complement each other nicely. And of course, from, from an artwork point of view, it, it, it's great. And um, so I'm just looking up at two, two LPs up here, which is why I'm looking up there. But, um, you know, we're, we're a big supporter. And the, the big challenge right now is the, the time it takes to make vinyl, which is, you know, close to seven months from delivery. So, which has created huge problems in production of, and timing of delivering audio and, and, and all of this. But it, it, it is what it is and you work around the problem. But um, at some point that will be resolved and we'll be in a better place. But, but it is ex it's, it's expensive, it's heavy, it, it can get damaged very easily. Um, but it, but it is a, it's a great format. Yeah, expensive and exciting, two E's and, and, and addition. Um, Dave, uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time 
to chat to me and to come on uh, The Insider and the podcast. It's just been a treat. No, well, thank you very much. Thank you so much to this week's guest Dave Stapleton for being the insider's insider. I will make a note of all tracks played during today's episode in the show notes for the episode, as well as any other links mentioned during conversation. The Insider is a spin-off series to the jazz session that I created in order to chat to jazz industry experts about the work that they do and the musicians who inspire them. The Insider is available to Patreon members of the $10 per month tier in advance of the episodes being available to the public on all podcast platforms. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to head to thejazzsession.com slash join, thejazzsession.com slash join, to find out how you can become a patron today. Feel free to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Check out the Jazz Sessions YouTube channel for video excerpts of interviews with this season's guests. Thank you for listening. I'm Nikki Schrera and I'll see you soon. <laughs>